I've thought long and hard over the years about how to make work work better for all of us. You might have read my book, Work Like a Woman, or listened to my previous podcast that looked at how the way work is still often structured today. Long hours, all those points for aggressively climbing the ladder, even the temperature at which our offices are heated, were all designed for a world in which it was mostly men doing the paid work. Things have changed. Women are an equal part of the paid workforce and to make it work better for us and allow us to more easily climb the ladder as well as enable men to take a greater share in everything from child rearing to caring for elderly relatives, we need to reshape the old ways of doing work. Now, with the help of my team at Portas, we're opening out this thinking further to look at how we can make the world of work and business not only better for us as individuals, but as a whole. How can business nurture people and planet as well as profit? Because to date, quite frankly, it's been about how much money we can make in the fastest possible time. But there is a new spirit emerging. And it's focused on creating healthy business that take their wider responsibility more seriously. And this isn't about waving banners. It's not about tokenism or wokenism being seen to do the right thing. This is about really doing things. Meaningful, tangible things like protecting wildlife and the environment. It's the future of how we will work, live buy and sell and the businesses we will create that consider giving back to people and planet as important as making a profit. We can all bring this shift powerfully to life in not only the coming years but the coming months, in fact now, by supporting a business culture that is less about people worrying about themselves and more about each other. It really is kindness in its truest sense, both in terms of generosity and thought for others, but also the wider sense of being of one kind. And together, we can create true change. Drops really do make an ocean. I'm Mary Portas. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy podcast is supported by BT and its small business support scheme. Now, down the line is that lovely Carenza with her lovely voice. Carenza, come on, tell me one more thing that BT is doing to help support the kindness economy. Oh, thank you, Mary. So we've been developing all these new resources for small businesses. That includes videos and courses and webinars, and they're all completely free. And they're designed to help you protect your business, protect your data, help you reach your customers in the digital marketplace really effectively and develop those social media strategies. It's also about using e-commerce, it's about developing those new skills and really critically developing confidence. This is fantastic. And as always, you end up with the confidence thing. Confidence is so important. You can find out more about the support that's on offer from BT by visiting bt.com forward slash small business support. Thanks, Grenza.
Zoom pipe on this bright, sunny morning. Good morning, Mary. It's Harley here. I work with you quite closely, I suppose, don't I? I'm the brand manager and marketing manager here at Portus. Lots going on. We've been pretty busy, haven't we, the last couple of months? Yeah, Harley. I wake up to Harley and I go to bed with Harley. Not actually, <laughs> as we know, but, you know, pretty much, right, mate? You'll be glad to see the back of me. Yeah, you, uh, as I said, you keep me on my toes. <laughs> so, Harley, do tell me, what have you seen happening in the kindness economy this week? Yeah, so I think one of the one of the best examples that I saw earlier this week was our good friends at Inga, the investment group that owns IKEA, have bought eleven thousand acres of forest in Georgia, USA, to pre- protect it from development. So since two thousand fourteen, Inga Group have bought over six hundred and twelve thousand acres of forest land in the US and all across Europe as well. Um, so that's a pretty powerful move from what is the biggest consumer of wood in the world as well, which I found out in my research. They consume 1% of all wood. God, that's ridiculous. 1% of all wood. Well, they're giving back. They're giving back. Thank you, Inga. Little round of applause. Anything else, Hulls? Yeah, I thought we'd just give a quick shout out to our good friends and our, our, our beloved lambs conduit neighbours in Dickensian Holborn, Redemption Roasters. Um, so anyone who doesn't know Redemption, uh, as the name alludes to, they are, in their own words, the world's first prison-based coffee company. So um, they operate all of their roasters out of Her Majesty's Prison, the Mount, where they train offenders in coffee industry skills. And then graduates are then given help on release to help find work in either their shops or through their wholesale clients. Um, it's a brilliant initiative and the coffee's fucking brilliant as well. Oh, I, did, I swore. Oh, no, we like a swear. Look, um, we love them, don't we, Harley? So when we're in IRL, in real life, back in our office, that's our local, isn't it? And we all commit to supporting our local. So where our office is, you know, next to Lamb's Conduit Street, we try and use all those shops as much as we can to support local. And, you know, we often talk about this. People think it's about, oh, you just support the shops for the shopkeepers. No, what you're doing when we support them is we're keeping this little community thriving, which in turn gives us a great quality of working life because we've got great neighbours with shops open. It's this little ecosystem of love and community. We need more of it. Thanks, Harles. Go and enjoy your day. I know you've got lots of work on because you work with me, don't you, Harley? <laughs> you keep me busy, Mary. You keep me busy. Bye, ya. Bye, ya. See ya. As one of five kids, I grew up wearing a lot of hand-me-downs, but that's the way my mother, like so many of her generation, did it. Then I came of age in the 80s. Yes, I think we know where this is going. And in the decades that followed, I'm more than made up with my fair share of new clothes. And of course, today, the mantra of new, new, more, more, more has got so out of hand, you can actually buy a dress for less than a pound in the madness that is Black Friday. According to the Waste and Resources Actions Programme, some 11 million items of clothing go into landfill each year. Just think about that, 11 million items of clothing. But thankfully, there is a growing counterpoint to all of this, and it's called secondhand. It's called pre-loved, or the circular fashion economy, the circular resale market, whatever. It's booming. I too saw the 
error of my ways 10 years ago, started changing how I bought, and I worked with Save the Children and opened up Mary's Living and Giving Shops across the country, which are doing their bit to pass on the things that people have loved to someone else who can love them again. Fanny Moisar has gone even further. In fact, she's created a global community of people who are reselling and buying online. Millions are now part of the Vestiaire Collective community, and Fanny is on a mission to spread the word. A year ago, at the very beginning of this pandemic, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm based in Hong Kong, so we faced uh, the first wave uh, earlier than Europe. So we were facing this, uh, this massive issue here, trying to handle uh, protection and, and, and following uh, tight measures. And then uh, the pandemic hit Europe, I think a month or a month and a half later. And as a business, the first thing we wanted to do is protect our staff. And so basically we have two types of staff, the office uh, staff that went immediately um, to work from home and the logistics staff who's um, working in, in our warehouse in Paris. The act of kindness that we did was to say, you know what, we faced the, the, the very early days of the pandemic here in Hong Kong. We know uh, what is important uh, to do, so to wear a mask. At the time in, uh, in France, it was not even considered. Uh, we know it's important to wash your hands, to clean the, the desks and everything. So how can we help you to face it? Because you're going to still be in the warehouse every day. We wanted to provide what you couldn't uh, find back then in, in Europe, meaning masks and, and gel and, and wipes. And with the, the team here in Hong Kong, we managed to find suppliers uh, who can purchase a lot of masks and, and gel and so on. And then we thought, okay, they might be protected at work, but it's not enough. They have a private life and they have a community, they have a family and so on. How can we make sure they are um, protected in their life? So what we did is we then multiply the purchase of, uh, of masks and wipes and so on. And we send it to them uh, saying, okay, guys, uh, this is for you, but we are also aware that uh, you and your community needs it. So we created some small kits uh, for them to be able to bring to their beloved ones, um, to their communities, to their uh, nurse, doctors, and everybody around them to protect themselves. So it was really a, what I find nice in that story is it was a collective uh, effort and they felt really, really um, uh, emotional about it because they were the only one, they were kind of... Uh, uh, saviors in a way of their own uh, community, being able to to do that act of kindness and to uh, give that little uh, kit and protection to their own um, surroundings and, and community. So we, we felt really uh, proud and I think we all came together as a, as a team across uh, oceans and felt really proud of this small thing. Those words you use, collective and community, they're so powerful, aren't they? Um, this is us together. And whether we're in business, um, you know, I often talked in my, my book in the early days that business used to be about the individual. How can you rise to the top? The me. And we're suddenly moving into a we society. And because of COVID, and, you know, whilst this has caused huge amounts of pain and trauma, yes. yeah. something good has come out of it. Um, was there anything anyone did for you? Not necessarily now, but even when you were starting out that anyone ever showed acts of kindness to you in business where you thought, that really helped me? I think the one that I remember, it was more some words than action, but I remember when we 
started the company like 11 years ago now, or even a bit more, we had our first um, uh, shareholders. And uh, one of them was a, a woman, um, a French woman. And, you know, as a company, you go through amazing times and through t tougher times, and then you reassess constantly um, the organization, the people, every everything. And and at some point it was a bit a difficult period. And then she, we were in a in a board meeting, I think. And she was, um, um, she just turned to me and said, uh, we were talking about the team and the organization. And she looked at me and say, Fanny, um, you, I trust you. Um, you're gonna grow with this company. And I think those that little act of kindness turning to me and saying that in front of the whole team. Um, yeah, gave me a lot of power. And 10 years after, when we celebrated the, the 10th birthday, I did a speech. She was there and I, I thank her for that because those words uh, carry me along the whole uh, journey. I love that. And I think that was something that really touched me uh, deeply uh, from a woman caring for me and, and giving me a lot of um, hope and energy at the same time. I love that. You know what's so interesting? All the words that you're using, which, I, you know, I often feel... Um, a feminine energy that we we suppressed over the last 30 years in business in in the sort of chase to get growth in business around what were often seen as alpha energies you know this individualism but the words that you use when she said fanny i trust you it's just a wonderful wonderful thing to say to another human and i notice you talk about vestaire being built on trust don't you Vestiaire is built on trust and connection. Do you think that affected you? Do you think that that was something that went into you and you thought that's such an important tenet in in business? Yes. For me, it's a fundamental. Uh, you cannot do business if you don't build that trust initially amongst the team, amongst the investors, amongst your customers. I think it's it's yeah, it's the base. How can I mean we are a platform? We are uh, we have a role of middlemen between buyers and sellers. Uh, we deal with items um, and sometimes luxury items that has a high value. And if if you don't build that trust, that element which people relate to and feel confident about, I mean, there's no business for me if you don't have that uh, first uh, trust base. I think it's the one that helps you and and. Uh, drive the growth at the end of the day because yeah consumers and and teams and and shareholders will back you up and 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 invest in you in your in your team and in your energy to if they if they trust you as a human as a business partner as a as a platform i think it's yeah it's fundamental and a lot of people tend to forget it because it's so basic <laughs> but it's the first thing for me to to build in in business yes well, I love it, and I think it's one of the really important things I often talk about. And um, Jacqueline Novogratz, who who's written a great book on um, you know morality in business, a manifesto, and um, she talks about these soft skills of listening, um, kindness, love, even, um, and trust are actually the hard skills and the greatest indicator of future business success, rather than just the business skills and. Um, when I look at your business and you talk about trust and this this woman connecting you with that and saying, I trust you, you looking at your team and saying, I trust you, I trust you, you looking at the people who sell and having actually the centre of your business model, 
trust. I'm not sure we'd have talked about that 10 years ago in business, do you? I think more and more. I mean, now we are, um, as a company, we are on the verge of becoming a B Corp. And, and we are, yeah, we are surrounded by amazing examples of companies doing things differently and, and putting values amongst, I mean, uh, before or, or at the same level of, of profit. And I think it's all about bringing people together that uh, share the same values and, and one of them being, uh, being that trust element. I think it's we are more and more uh, stepping away as consumers from the, the, you know, the big commercial messages and so on. And we want really to connect at a higher level and at a deeper level. Um, so any company that is transparent and, and value driven would make, yeah, for sure, the difference. And I think, yes, you're right. Ten years ago was less the case. We were still in this huge commercial thinking and, and business driven. And, but more and more, I think the crisis, we are a crisis business. Huh? We launched in 2009. So I think crises also help you to realize that, yes, uh, in those moments when it's difficult, you need to connect at a, again, at a deeper level. And, and what is deeper than, I mean, many things are deeper than business and, and they are the, the values that you share and you hold and you, live towards too so it's yeah it's very very important I think. Fanny tell me tell me about how your love of fashion and business started take me back to your 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 early days or maybe your childhood even. Yes I think I I should go back to my childhood because I think one of the reasons was I grew I mean I was a teenager in the 90s um and basically, that's when the, the you remember the supermodels era. I love that front cover of Vogue. Do you remember the front cover of Vogue? So it was Linda Evangelista, wasn't it? Naomi. I'm trying to think who the others were that were on the front cover. Helena uh-huh. Christensen, wasn't it? I remember that supermodel, Cindy Crawford. Cindy, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it was a wonderful time, of course, wasn't it? It was amazing. It was amazing. And you grew up with this. You grew up with all these... Fashion designers, the, the Jean-Paul Gaultier of the time, the Galliano, the McQueen, the Mugler. I mean, fashion was a, a celebration at the time. It was shows, I mean, incredible shows. It was a, um, uh, like literally a spectacle, as we say in, in, in France. It was like a celebration. It was super joyful. It was very bold. I remember uh, those silhouettes and it was really, um, I think, a female celebration also because they were like super power and super women. Um, so I think you, when you grew up with that, uh, you kind of identify or at least uh, uh, look up to those uh, very strong uh, women. And the second thing that I think drove my love to, to fashion was my mom. Um, she herself was quite, uh, I mean, pretty stylish. She was uh, not a fashion victim, but she was buying quite a lot of, uh, I mean, not a lot, actually. She was buying a few, but beautiful pieces. I remember those Alaya amazing um, suits uh, that she was wearing and so on. She was reading the fashion magazine. So I grew up in, uh, in fashion magazines also. Um, so that drove my, I think, my love to fashion. And, and the business side of things, I got it when my, again, my mom, uh, she's always been an entrepreneur. And, and when I was a little bit older, I don't know, 15 to 20 years old, she runs some um, uh, shops. So she had a few retail shops. She was selling many things from design um, objects to a bit of fashion. 
And as I was, uh, no, actually, I was a bit older because I was studying in, in the same city, so in south of France, in Montpellier. And as I was living close to the shop, I was helping her a lot, um, opening the stores and then helping for all my, um, my holidays and, and so on. So I think I was exactly at the time as at the cross rail of, of fashion and business. And that was my really first experience, huh? uh, to understand how you drive how you, you, you manage a shop and how you manage uh, employees and how you do everything basically from accounting to uh, uh, wrapping uh, papers and, and, and serving the clients. So I think that gave me that, um, that love and that energy to one day uh, launch my own uh, business. And that joy, that joy when you see people happy um, and finding something they yes. love. Uh, I was thinking back to those shows. I, being that bit older, I was um, at Harvey Nichols then. So I remember going to the Galliano shows and they were spectacular is all I can say. I mean, they were extraordinary. I still have the invites. I think one of the invites was a sh um, he did um, a theme all around. I, I don't know if you, 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 you might remember it, but... Um, at the time, there's also a designer called Rifat Osbeck who was out at the time. And it was all those wonderful military jackets. And Galliano sent out arms of military jackets with his invite sewn onto it. I still have that. It was just oh, wonderful wow. and spectacular and full of such joy and experience. Um, and part of me, even though that you, you sell, you know, on digitally and you're online and you re-commerce... Part of me believes that we're going to see a movement back to that in the physical space, I believe. What do you think about that? I think this, this need for togetherness and connection and all the stuff that you talk about and, uh, and a little bit of joy. I think we're going to see some of that start to happen within retail businesses. Yes, I, I think we, we need it. Um, we need some, yeah, some additional meaning. We need... I don't, I don't like the world because it's been overused, but we need experience uh, above and beyond just product and, and buying the latest thing. We need something that make uh, our heart um, beat faster um, and enjoy something a bit more personal, a bit more meaningful and something that, yeah, will bring joy and will bring amazement. And, and so I think we, we are on the verge of reshaping completely that industry um, and redefining the needs of um, of yeah of customers and and I think the showrooming uh, phenomenon meaning transforming the stores into something else than just products and stocks and being able to pick up your your thing it's about enjoying what's in there but being able also to get it delivered to your place and and finding other um, things to do in a store basically so yes I think there's going to be a lot of change and innovation in the next um, years to come. It has to. Do you know, I, I have to tell you, I wonder if you thought, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing slightly, because I, I, you know, I remember just before even this all hit, travelling to New York and, 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 um, and certainly even here in London, looking at stores that were still just full of stuff and thinking, do they not know that this is no longer going to be viable? And that... All this space, could you imagine taking tomorrow's big department stores and going, actually, let's make one floor 
completely catwalk or just shows continually on or we'll put in there great cafes as well we can have music we could have we could have young artists we could have young designers and then you go to the next floor it's all about well-being and, and sport and health and you have a yoga studio and you've got maybe some collection by lululemon next to it but you've got people working out i i just always find it i find myself a bit disillusioned with my industry that they didn't see this coming and that the innovation has ended up in technology and people like yourselves um but anyway that's my my despair on that and um i'm hoping like you are that we're going to see a, a re-evaluation of all this but at the same time you're you're um, a bit harsh because i mean selfridges to name um to name them has been doing an amazing to name one or two yeah they've been doing an amazing mm. job at, at this maybe they could push it for further but I remember we, we had a store in Selfridges for um, a year, a full year. And I remember popping there and, and being amused by how much, um, entertainment you can have in the store. I remember on the first floor, I can't remember it was first floor, maybe having those, um, you know, those skaters, uh, those young, cool kids. Uh, coming here to skate because they build a, a ramp or I don't know the name in English, but yeah. those guys could come and, and do some skating in the in the store. And there's so much things happening there. I think it's um, I mean comparing with with France, for example, it's a it's a great um, uh, leader in the in that respect. And they've always been uh, super good at this. No, 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 I am. But I, I think we could pull out Selfridges or what my early days of Harvey Nicks or yes, Liberty yes. doing it. <laughs> but, but when you look at all those other chains, you're like, and they're falling. That's why. Selfridges are still there going bam, bam, like this wonderful, big metropolis heartbeat. But anyway, <laughs> we're picking out one or two. <laughs> I want to pick out more and say how brilliant they are. Um <laughs> Fanny, what made you first aware of circular fashion? I mean, when you started, you know, to, to tell me what made you first aware. And there's all different words that we're using circular fashion now. My, when I was a kid, secondhand, then it became vintage. What, what, what was it when you th first thought, oh, God, you know, this is wonderful. I could reuse this. Because with your age, it was about the new. Everything that was being marketed at your generation was the new, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, I think the, uh, so why I created Vestiaire first, and then I'll, I'll get back to this. Um, I worked basically seven years in, in home decoration. Uh, then I got pregnant. I had my two um, wonderful girls. Um, and then everything changed for me because suddenly I was seeing um, life through a different uh, perspective. I really, I think pregnancy and having the girls made me realize that um, you have to, to leave the girls at home uh, with a nanny or whatever. I really had to be um, passionate about the reason why I'm going out of the house um, to work. In bracket, I'm lucky enough to, at the time, not um, having a very supportive, and I still have him, but a very supportive husband who can um, give me the, the, the freedom and the, the capacity to choose what I wanted to do. Um, and then basically, I, I, I wanted to, again, to follow my passion. And my passion connecting to, to my um, childhood was fashion. So I went back to, to school, to a fashion school, Institut Français de la Mode in, in Paris, to learn uh, the business of fashion, basically. And, and there I realized that, again, same thing, after graduating, what am I going to do? 
Am I going to find a job in fashion? And at the time, nothing was really exciting for me um, in the industry. Um, so I then reconnected to the family roots and said, okay, maybe if the job that I'm dreaming of um, doesn't exist, I'll create it. And then I started to look at the industry, look at the consumer, and I realized that consumer has changed under what you just explained, meaning that's um, fast fashion mentality. The fact that it was about uh, newness all the time um, and that fast fashion has completely uh, changed the, the pace of the industry. Um, and then I was looking at this and, and looking at my wardrobe and, and understanding that that mentality and that new consumption was creating tremendous amounts of waste um, in, in our wardrobes and it was same for my friends. But at the same time, I was educated by a mother who was um, highlighting me um, like how to spot a good quality item, how to um, look up for um, amazing uh, materials, how to enjoy the cut of an outfit um, and how to uh, treasure what you own. And, and basically, I, I, I compared myself to my mom and I remember she was buying, I don't know, let's say a, a coat or a jacket for almost a lifetime. And she was season after season treasuring that coat and making sure she would care about it and, and she would enjoy wearing it uh, across um, seasons. And I was almost exactly the opposite, uh, willing to get my hand on a new one every season or maybe two. And then I was kind of a bit annoyed with that. And at the same time, I realized that Yes, I want to enjoy uh, the fashion creativity and I want to have the pleasure to have something new uh, from time to time, but I also want to bring more consciousness into my habits. Um, and I think that fast fashion mentality is, is just leading us to a wall um, and it's creating just waste and, and, and horrible behavior. So how can I solve that issue, that waste issue? And how can I make sure that my wardrobe is just composed um, of items that I enjoy, really enjoy, while I can still enjoy new, yeah, new collection, but at the same time also be very conscious and, and, and buy into quality items that will last a long time. That's basically when I realized that something was missing in the industry um, and, and a capacity to solve that issue of, of waste and, and to be able for fashion people, for, for consumers that love fashion, um, to sell what they no longer want and also um, invest in, in quality items that will be a bit more affordable uh, than what's out there in the market. I understand what you do, and I can understand there's a whole market for yours, but there's also a huge market that is still buying into fast fashion. And when I saw this, my, my worst day of the year is Black Friday, when I saw one of the online um, uh, fashion retailers selling a dress for 20p to get people to buy into more, I actually wanted to be sick. Have you, this is the big thing we have to do here. Have you any ideas? What do you think? What do you think will make that yo the younger generation, of which there are many, and we keep being told it's democratic fashion and giving affordability fashion to everybody, when actually it's actually more stuff so often. 
So anyways, what do you think we should be doing that would make that generation think, yeah, this is the right way to go? Even if I can't afford second-hand luxury or designer. Have you had any thoughts on that? I think, I mean, our way of doing it, because that's our biggest fight, huh, is, is to get, away, get people away from that throwaway fashion mentality. I think it goes through just education. I couldn't see any other thing to, to do, but educate people and, and showing them how this fast fashion is made um, uh, and how they are not uh, respecting the, 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 the people who are making the clothes. Um, and, and how it's not possible to, to sell that dress for 20 quids and, and then to dump it. And so Europeans, yeah. consumers, yeah. on average, they buy 26 kilograms of textile per person per year. And believe me or not, within the same year, they discard 11 kilos. So wow. what's the point? What's the point on, on, on buying so much stuff and, and just what, enjoying it for a picture on Instagram, uh, an evening, and then throwing it away. I mean, there's, if you're not paying for that dress, I mean, not paying much more, much more than 20 quid, someone is paying in the world for, for that dress and, and the planet is paying also. So I think it takes time, um, but it's the only way is to educate people and to, to open their eyes on, on what's going on behind the, the scene and behind that fucking yeah. 20 quid dress. Yeah. And, but I'm, I'm wondering, because I, I, in my head, we've gone through this so many times in my agency. We're like looking at this, looking at this. And uh, um, there's a great World Hope Forum that Lee Edelcourt started. Have you heard about this? Mm -hmm. Where we're looking at this globally, each country. But one, one of the big things, we, we keep looking at this in my agency, is how do we do this? And the big thing that we really think is, how do you create sexy new role models that show that that way is just not the way to live and buy. I mean, part of me thought, imagine how fabulous it would be if the Kardashians said only yes. buy secondhand. I mean... <laughs> or, you know, only buy secondhand. Well, you know, th this is where it's coming from. Or X amount of pieces a year. It's not that you don't have to buy new. We all want to buy sometimes that new thing. But looking at those stats and the fact that you know, the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in the world after the oil industry. Don't you think it's going to be about new role models on social media? Yes, uh, we have some. I mean, we have people like Emma Watson doing an amazing job uh, um, speaking about, uh, about this. Um, and at the same time, I mean, to, to talk about Kim... Um, She's also, I mean, not only, obviously, but she's also, in a way, and she has been a, um, uh, very close to us in, in that respect, she's been a, a consumer of Vestiaire for years now, and she's been super genuine with us. Um, I remember a few years ago, she even tweeted, uh, one morning I woke up and she tweeted uh, how much she loves Vestiaire and how much she discovers amazing pieces on Vestiaire, and she was very... Um, open uh, on the fact that she was uh, buying and selling on, on Vestiaire and she was um, completely uh, open to it and, and, and very yeah, uh, encouraging people to do the same. So I think it, it takes more than just one tweet, of course. Um, but you're right. I think more people should uh, stand up and shout and, and, and show the way to others. And that's exactly where we are going. We've just... Um, moving further in our sustainability uh, positioning, now we want to 
address our consumers as proper fashion activists. I'm not afraid of this world. It's a big world, but we truly think that um, now what we're doing is, is basically empowering consumers to change the industry. Um, let's not be afraid of the world. Um, and, and we are trying to, again, to educate them to slow the pace, uh, reduce waste and to invest in, in quality and, and, and to stop uh, that, uh, yeah, that newness uh, frenzy. Um, and we've released a brand film recently who's talking about exactly this. And in that film, we have, um, we're featuring true fashion activists. So um, Aja Barber, uh, Venetia and, and Dan also were three real people that are uh, real uh, Vestia consumers and really super engaged in their uh, fight um, uh, towards a, a more sustainable fashion industry. So it's it's the way, uh, I think it's the way you write um, and we need more people like this voicing um, out loud what, what's the good thing to do. Um, and basically, slowly but surely people will follow and it takes um, a bunch of them to turn the, the mentalities. But I'm very hopeful because Gen Z are really, when we, we do surveys and so on, they are really conscious. And they are saying, I think the last survey was, um, they were saying at 91% that in fashion, they first, how do you say, objective was to to shop ethically. So to look at their consumption and to to be more sustainable. Um, and again, we've done, uh, during the, the, the pandemic, we've done a, a big uh, survey with BCG and, and more and more people were saying, I want to buy less, I want to own less, I want to do less impulse buying, to invest in, in more qualitative products, to buy from sustainable brands. Um, so it's it's changing, it's moving. Oh, good. I, I'm with you. I think there is enormous hope. And I, I think... Um Gen Z, and I'm seeing it, you know, my children and my children's friends, it's a wonderful generation. It makes me slightly ashamed, you know, but I think, I, I think we can't forget in the fashion industry, and I think, you know, and in the, the interiors, most brands, you know, I, I talk about the status part of it, which is deeply important, because I think the more earnest we make this, the more it would make people go, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. This isn't just about, this is a modern way of living, and I think that's a really an important message to sell it's a sexy modern way of living because when my days when we talked about the 90s and all those brands it was status symbols you know if you had the status symbol you were you've made it then it moved into what i call status stories it was more about discovery and you know now it's status sentience and sentience respect and care but the word status still is there so somehow the big message we need to get out is actually it's very sexy and it's very modern to be doing this and thinking about and being mindful and conscious as well as looking absolutely wonderful because you know we want the joy still to be in it and that's deeply important fast forward five years Fanny and what do you hope to see in the business world how would it look I mean, my dream um, to four or five years ahead would be to see, I mean, a move from linear to a circular economy and it goes above and beyond fashion. I think, again, we need to stop uh, producing so much waste. I think it's about decoupling um, the economic activity uh, from consumption of, of the limited resource we have, uh, we have on this earth. So basically, if you if you manage to make fashion and, and the other industries circular, 
It means you, you keep on uh, using um, perpetually the same resources. So you stop <laughs> um, taking them out of, uh, of our planet. So that's my biggest hope is, and I know it's on the agenda of every single CEO in that industry, how to become um, more virtuous and how to make better products, how to recycle those products. And I truly believe that um, in a few years, and, and the movement is already has already started, that every single fashion brand would have to um, offer um, a full life cycle, meaning they will still offer, of course, their first-hand new collections and so on. But on the side, they will also have uh, second-hand products because their consumers might want to um, trade in the last, whatever, a season or a few seasons ago, bag or a pair of shoes or whatever. And I think there's people already leading the way. Uh, Weston, I don't know if you if you saw that, or doing a great job at uh, offering to trade back your uh, your old uh, Western shoes, and they will repurpose and repair them and and put it back um, on sale as a vintage uh, pair. And I think that's exactly where uh, our industry should go um, to to not only but be a bit more. I mean, and surely more circular. So that's where I, uh, I hope, where my uh, hope lies, having a truly circular fashion model and, and more and more brands embracing secondhand. Fanny, it's been a, a real wonderful morning talking to you. I'm sorry, afternoon for you. Good luck with everything. Keep being a voice for this. This is deeply important and um, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much, Mary. It's a pleasure is shared. My thanks to the, no doubt, glamorous and articulate and go-getting Fanny Mosel. Next week's show, well, I don't think many of us truly would think that the money, no matter how small, that we've got in our current account could make much of an impact. But that's where we're wrong. Because Triodos is one of the new breed of sustainable banks that's committed to investing ethically and responsibly, no matter how much you put into their bank. And my guest on next week's show is the CEO, Bevis Watts, who once said, I am the first environmentalist to run a UK bank, which indicates that people think combining environmental and societal concerns with banking is radical. But the interdependence of these two worlds is a fact we can't ignore. Environmental disasters impact the financial world, and that's why we must protect the planet as well as profit. Mm, like the sound of him. So join me next week as I talk to Bevis about the positive impact each of us can make by entrusting our money to banks that are doing business in a new and a kind way. To get that episode first, subscribe to The Kindness Economy with me, Mary Portas. See you next week.